So over the past few weeks, we've been in a series just simply entitled The Great Coronation. And really, if you're busy with us, what that means is that God the Father has chosen to coronate His Son and to give His Son a kingdom to be established here upon the earth. And you and I are currently living between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first time He came, He came in Bethlehem in a stable. But whenever He comes again, He will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. So right now, you and I have the privilege of living in between that time frame. And here's what we've learned so far. How faithful you and I are to God's call upon our life while Jesus is away will actually determine what we will be doing when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. So we want to make sure that we are faithful to follow after the heart of God. Now this morning we're going to be challenged to really take up the mantle of leadership during this particular time frame in which we live. You know, I've read a gazillion books on leadership, and the majority of them say that leadership is influence. And every single one of us have influence in life. We influence other people. The question is, how do we influence them? Or better yet, are we influencing them for the cause of Jesus Christ? You know, I read a story this past week by a guy named Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan wrote about his father who actually had been diagnosed with melanoma cancer. He had one single month to live. And it was pretty interesting because Pastor Dan's dad had a heartbeat to share Jesus with other people. So he realized he only had one month to live, and so he began to look at his friends that were in his life and make sure they had a personal relationship with Christ. One of them, he had shared the gospel with on several occasions, but he just had not responded. His name was Bob. And so he set up a lunch appointment, sat down with him, and shared with him the news about his own life, and then began to share with him how he so desired to see him in heaven one day. So he shared the gospel, as he had done many times before with Bob. But on this particular day, the gospel message stuck to his heart. And so he, in that moment, realized Jesus died on the cross for his sin, was buried and resurrected, and Bob turned from his sin and placed all of his trust in Jesus Christ. And his life was radically changed. Now that is awesome just to think, this guy had one month to live, and he is concerned about others. But it gets even better. At his funeral, he planned for Bob to be baptized. So at his funeral, they all gathered together to hear about the life of this man who had passed away. And after listening to his life and his influence, they baptized Pastor Dan, baptized Bob right there at the funeral. And I thought to myself, that's how I want to go out. Y'all all right? It's like, come to my funeral service and see people get baptized. I dig that, man. So encouraged by that particular story. He was a leader. He was an others-centered individual. But you know, that's not what we're encouraged to live like, is it, in our current culture? You and I are actually encouraged to live for ourselves, me, myself, and I. We are self-promoters. We are uh, self-absorbed. Everything seems to revolve around us. And that's really what our culture pushes us to live like. In fact, everything designed really is designed around you. Uh, you've got your iPhone, your iPod your iPad. Do y'all see a similar statement in all of those? Go to Facebook and you'll be shocked. Facebook is designed just for you. Facebook is designed so that you can put things down that really do describe how perfect your life is. And Facebook drives people nuts too. Are y'all all right? 
People go on Facebook late at night, and what do they do? They read your Facebook post, and they compare their life to your Facebook post. And it just seems that so many people's lives out there are absolutely perfect. Have you realized this? It is amazing what they put. And there's a new phenomenon that has come out. I think it's probably been around with teenagers, but it took a little while longer for us 30-year-olds to get it. But people in their pockets have these smartphones, kind of like this. And a lot of people today are taking what is known as selfies. Do you all know what this is? It is a self-portrait, all designed just to lift you up. Are you all listening? My wife and kids, we were all having a family night Friday night. We were down at the uh, mall. It used to be called Discover Meals. I don't know what it's called now. Anybody? know? Yeah, sugar loaf meals. God bless you. Somebody said that. Y'all mall rats. But anyway, so uh, appreciate you sharing. But we were there and there was a high school uh, band that was there and they were all kind of milling around the mall and having a good time. And I saw uh, three girls walk through the food court while we were sitting there eating. And I looked up just at the right time. This girl pulled her phone out of her pocket and didn't tell her friends anything, smiled at her phone, fixed her hair a little bit, and then took a picture. Right? Friends not even in it, right? All about her. Matter of fact, those friends are there for her. That mall was built for her. Are y'all listening? That's what it's like today. Everything we think revolves around us. But that is the exact opposite of how you and I are called to live in the kingdom of God. And you and I, although we are waiting for the kingdom to come when Jesus establishes it, we are still living in the spiritual kingdom of God. And so we want to live by biblical kingdom principles. Now, what's wild is this morning in our text, as we've gone verse by verse through Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is actually in the room with his disciples. It's the Last Supper. We talked about that last week. But here in this room, they, if they had Facebook, would have been immediately telling everybody what was going on. If they had cell phones, they would have been taking self-portraits because these disciples were not others-centered. They were self-centered. They were trying to get everyone to be impressed with them. And we're going to learn today how you and I are supposed to live. Not a self-centered life, but an other-centered life. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. You've got your Bible there with you. Say yes. Luke 22, verse 24. Stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Luke 22, verse 24. The Bible says, There arose a dispute among them. The them there are the disciples. So there arose a dispute among the disciples as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But Jesus says, But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you uh, for the truth in your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a life following your call, serving other people. God, we pray in the name of Christ that we would grow in this reality. Father, we don't want to simply learn biblical knowledge this morning. We want to apply the truth to our life. So take the Word of God, plant it into our hearts, 
And may it bear fruit that honors you. May it be obvious in our lives that we are your followers. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So you can be seated. So this morning, I want to basically take the text of Scripture and encourage you not to live a self-promoting life, but one that is other-centered. I only have one sentence that I want to put on your heart that hopefully will help you this week and the weeks to come. But I'm going to give it to you in two parts. So we really have two major points this morning. Here goes the very first one. I want to encourage you, don't size up the rooms that you are in. Don't size up the rooms that you're in. Look at your Bible in verse 24 again. There arose a dispute among the disciples as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Now, the disciples had just heard the Lord Jesus Christ talk about his future suffering on the cross. Now, you've got to go there, all right? You're sitting around the table, and you are there with the disciples, and Jesus is carrying on this discourse with you, talking about how he is about to suffer. He then takes the bread, he breaks it, he passes it out to you and says, this is my body, it's broken for you. Then he takes the wine, he passes it out and says, this is my blood, and this is going to be shed for you. So every single thing around that particular conversation so far is about the future suffering of Jesus. So what do you think you and I will be talking about? Seems to me like we'd be carrying on a conversation about how to help Jesus. Maybe we would spend a little time laying our hands on Jesus and really praying for him in that particular hour. But that wasn't the case with the disciples. They were not concerned about the future suffering of Jesus. They were concerned about their future reign in the kingdom. They wanted to know where they were going to serve. So they began to size up the room. In fact, here in this text of Scripture, we find that there is a dispute among them. It literally speaks of the fact that they are looking at one another and they are building an argument to try to argue that they themselves are greater than the other disciples. Kind of a unique time here in which they are self-promoting. They were arguing, quarreling with one another. One commentator notes it this way. They compared their relative worth and jockeyed for position in the future Messiah's court. Who would be the prime minister? Who would be the secretary of war? Who would preside over the parliament? Who would rule over the cities? So that is their argument. There they are trying to push themselves into a place of authority and a place of honor right in the presence of Christ. Now, whenever I read this to begin with, I became a little ill at the disciples. Are y'all all all right? I'm like, what is their problem? You know, it's like you kind of want rocks to throw at them and say, wake up, man. Jesus is about to suffer and you guys are arguing over senseless things. And then the Lord took the text and reminded me how often I do the exact same thing as the disciples. Self-promotion. You know, there's this thing innate within all of us that makes us think we're more important than we really are. In fact, I would say it to you like this. We secretly oftentimes think, no matter what room we are in, that we should be in charge. That we should be the ones calling all of the shots. Now, I hate to admit this to you this morning, but as I said, the word first came to the preacher's heart as the Holy Spirit began to remind me a time recently when I was acting just like these disciples, only a couple of weeks ago. I was invited to go to a prayer brunch with a whole bunch of pastors in the area. So I walked into this room, which is a very nice room, had a large square table there with a bunch of executive chairs all around the table, and I took my seat, and the first thing that I realized that I was doing was sizing up the room. 
I started looking at all the pastors, what church they pastored, where they came from, wondered whether or not their church might be a little larger or smaller than Concord. And then I began to think, I bet that guy can't preach a lick. He can hardly put two sentences together. And I began to compare every single person in the room. And I could feel my own pride and ego rising up within me. Man, it was like a green monster that you just can't get away from. And I could feel it just rising. And then it was time to pray. And I won't forget, the guy sitting next to me started the prayer. And he said, Levi, you'll finish the prayer. So it went around the entire room. And here I am with my head bowed, already conviction in my heart, realizing I had a problem. I was sizing up the room the whole time. I'm like, Lord, help me. But then my flesh, my inner self was saying, you've got to get ready to pray, man. Everybody's going to be listening to your prayer. You've got to sound more spiritual than everybody else. So I began to try to think about spiritual words I could use and impress all the pastors in the room. Y'all don't sit out there and act spiritual on me, all right? You know you've been in a Bible study before. You've been in a little circle, and you were praying, and maybe somebody else was praying, and it was your turn coming up, and you were thinking, I can't, I don't know what I'm going to say, but i got to get ready for what I'm going to say. So whenever it comes around, I know I'm going to say, not concerned about whether or not God is going to hear, just concerned about everybody else in the room. And this was me, man. Deep conviction fell in my heart as I'm looking at this, and I'm getting all fired up with these disciples, and the Lord's like, you do the same exact thing. So I can so understand this morning what was going on in the heart of the disciples as they sat there in that upper room jockeying for a position. You can imagine what they were thinking. They were thinking, I'm the smartest up in here. I should be in charge. I'm the most qualified to lead this group. I've been here longer than anybody else. I should have the reins. I've got the longest tenure around this table. Or maybe somebody was saying, I'm the oldest in the group. I should have the authority. Or the other may say, I'm the youngest. I've got the most energy. I should be in charge. Some would say, I worked this ministry longer than anybody else. I have sacrificed more. I have more scars in my life. I should be the one who is in charge of this kingdom. You know, I read a statement Warren Wiersbe writes concerning this particular event. Listen to his words. He says, whenever you are interested in promoting yourself, it doesn't take much to start an argument. When you are interested in promoting yourself, it doesn't take much to start an argument. I began to think through this. You know, these disciples were in the upper room. And they were arguing and jockeying for position. Then I began to say, okay, Lord, what rooms do I find myself in throughout the week? What rooms will our church members find themselves in throughout the week? I mean, you're going to be in your uh, living room. You're going to be in your uh, workplace room. You're going to be in a small group room. Uh, Even here this morning, you are in a room at church. And we constantly find ourselves just measuring ourselves to everybody else in the room, sizing up the room to see where we rank in the building. We do this nonstop. So thinking about these rooms, I've got a list of questions that I think I could ask to help determine whether or not I desire to promote myself. So let me just give you these questions and you ask them of yourself. And just for a moment, consider some of the rooms that you find yourself in. A room at home, a room in the workplace, a room here in the church. And then ask yourself some of these questions, all right, like I've done. Y'all ready for them? Say yes. Uh, Do I argue just for attention? If you're sitting out there saying, no, I do not, as you're arguing with me, chill out, man. Do I drop names and accomplishments just to get people to admire me? 
You find yourself in a room, maybe with new people or even old people, and you're telling them, oh man, I know so-and-so, or yes, I was hanging out with so-and-so, and this and that, and pushing all of your accomplishments. Here's another question. Do I criticize so I can be recognized by others? Or how about this one? Do I disagree just to disagree to be deemed as important among other people? Do I give my opinions just to sound wise in the ears of others? Or how about this one? Am I thinking of other people right now who need to hear this message? Y'all ain't out there, are you? Have you ever noticed every sermon is for somebody else? It's like, I wish so-and-so were here to hear what Levi was talking about this morning, man. He needs to hear it. She needs to hear it. We are self-absorbed when we think every sermon and every lesson is for somebody else but not us. So think about the rooms, all right? This is where we get a little application rolling for you, all right? Think about the rooms. I've got uh, not only these questions, but you think about the rooms where you are in. uh, Why would you not size them up? Here's the reason Jesus gives. When we size up a room, we're acting like we belong to a world that doesn't know God Look at verse 25. Jesus says to them, the king of the Gentiles, all right, he is literally circling around the kings of the Gentiles. He is saying, these who do not even have a relationship with God the Father, they lord it over others, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. So Jesus here is magnifying the reality that the disciples are thinking like people of this current world system. They are thinking like individuals who live in the dominion of evil. They are not thinking like kingdom citizens, kingdom of the light, but kingdom citizens of the darkness. See, the kings rule over people, and uh, it's pretty wild, right? The kings rule over the people, and then they act like they're serving the people. Jesus is teaching that this is not the case in his kingdom rule. You do not lord over people and then act like you are serving them. You don't size up a room and try to see if you are the brightest and the best and worthy of authority. This is not the way to think as a citizen of God's kingdom. That is how citizens of the darkness think. We are often, too often, driven by our own pride and our own egos. Always wanting everything to revolve around us. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Did y'all hear that? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Paul the apostle is warning people to make sure they do not become self-absorbed and self-promote. It's huge here. Don't size up the room. Hey, what rooms will you find yourself in this week? Or maybe last week, if you got dead level honest, where there's some rooms you were in at work or at home, and you sized it up and came away thinking you had it going on. Y'all, y'all ain't talking to me this morning. I, I can sense you don't like the sermon. All right. God bless you. God bless you. That's all I needed, right? All right. So here comes the second part of the sentence. Don't size up the room you're in. Here it is. Serve the room. Don't size up the room you're in. Serve the room. This is huge. Verse 26, the Bible says, It's not this way with you, Jesus speaking, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. So Jesus here literally is turning their thinking upside down. 
And it is awesome how the Lord does this. He is saying that instead of trying to act like the oldest in the room, they should act like the youngest in the room. You see, those who act like the oldest may be in the room seeking to say they have more authority because of their age. Which, by the way, in that particular culture, the older you were, the more wise people believed you to be. But Jesus says, don't go around acting like the oldest. Act like the youngest. Act like a person who has no claim to authority whatsoever. And then he says it like this. Those who are leaders within the kingdom of God are actually the servants of other people. Now, J. Oswald Sanders wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership. Awesome book. I'd encourage you to read it. But he talks about the term servant. Listen to what he writes. Quote, the term servant speaks everywhere of low prestige, low respect, and low honor. Most people are not attracted to such a low-value role. But when Jesus used the term servant, it was synonymous for greatness. It's a massive concept, isn't it? Those who are in the room serving are considered great by the Lord. But those who are in the room believing everyone should be serving them are actually considered low by the Lord. Verse 27, he says, who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is not he who reclines at the table? Here Jesus is talking about their current culture. And then he says it like this. But check this out. But I am among you as the one who serves. So it's pretty clear here that the greatest in the room was the Lord Jesus. Would you all all agree with that? Say yes. That's an awesome concept. Jesus is the greatest in this particular room and all rooms. Now think about Jesus, all right? I want you to get this, all right? Jesus did not just come into existence when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is eternal. Matter of fact, whenever you read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, when the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the word God there literally is speaking about the Trinity. And I would share more with you of that uh, later. But here you have God the Father who dreamed of the world. Here you have God the Son who spoke the world into existence. Here you have God the Holy Spirit who is holding it together. So Jesus Christ was there from the very beginning. He is God of very God. Over 2,000 years ago, he stepped into human history, being born of a virgin and taking on flesh. So here Jesus is, God in the flesh, who is sovereign king over the entire universe, having spoken into existence, owner of all things. Jesus walks into this room, and these men are in there jockeying for position about who the greatest is. Jesus walks into this room, the one who, again, spoke the world into existence, and here he finds these men arguing about who's going to wash feet. John talks about it. Jesus listening, and you can imagine, right? The, the one who washes the feet, this is in our culture, it's a little different here, right? We don't wash our feet before we come into the house. Please do that before you come into mine, though. Are you listening? All right. oh, that was a joke. I don't know. Some people are like, oh. We don't do that. But here, here's what they did. They would, because they you know, wore sandals, they were in the dusty, dirty streets. Their feet were nasty. Whenever they would come in to eat, they wouldn't eat at a table that was raised. It was a low table to the ground. And so their feet were very close to the table. So they wanted to wash each other's feet. But whenever you came into a room, the one who washed the feet was the servant of the house. And so when they came into this room, there was no servant there. So they were all looking at each other like, who's going to wash the feet? Who's going to wash the feet? And Jesus steps into the room, takes off his robe, and puts on a towel, grabs a basin of water, and gets on his knees and washes their feet. And what's awesome about this is he 
uh, right after that in John's gospel says, look, look, as I have shown you, do to one another. As I have taught you, love one another. Can I give you a great principle here? When your love is increasing for the Lord, your service toward other people runs parallel with your love for God. So if you're not loving God rightly, guess what? You're not going to serve people. So here Jesus gives us this phenomenal example of how to live in the kingdom. And if Jesus did it, good night. How much more should we be doing? You know, I read a book entitled Good to Great one time. It's written by Jim Collins. It's pretty awesome. Jim Collins basically uh, went all over the globe looking for businesses that were uh, sustaining growth over a long period of time. And once they found the greatest businesses over the entire planet, they actually began to study the leaders of those organizations. And when studying the leaders of those organizations, Jim Collins made a startling discovery about every single one of the leaders. You know what it was? They exhibited humility as leaders. Every one of them. Matter of fact, he writes that they were others-centered. He talks about how they also were people of character. That meant they literally looked out for the best interests of those people in their organization. Now, when I read a book like that, and that is a secular book, man, I love how it elevates this principle of humility. And it reminds you and I that you and I are to live humble lives. And it's not thinking less of yourself. That's not humility. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Humility is placing the needs of others above your own personal needs. And then character is having the moral maturity to do what is right, even if it costs you something. Now think about that for just a moment. When you have character and humility, you will seek to serve other people. But when you are prideful and you have a lack of character, it always breeds immaturity. And immaturity always thinks everything should serve self. Are y'all listening yet? It's amazing, right? Because we counsel uh, marriages here often. And whenever we counsel marriages so often, the problem in the marriage is just selfish spouses acting like children. I didn't say that in the first two services. I hope that went over okay. Y'all all right? But it's so true, man. How often we have seen and literally looked at people, it's almost like they're kids in a sandbox arguing over a toy. And it's because they will not humble themselves, listen, humble themselves and serve. Look, our master Jesus, you know how he wrote it out? Here's what Matthew said about Jesus. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Can y'all look at me eyeball to eyeball because this is wild, right? Because it's like, how does this stuff work in life? Okay, how do we apply these principles today? And here's the thing. I'm sitting down with Garrison the other day. Garrison's my oldest son. He's 10 years old. And we're at the dinner table together. And uh, Garrison's been spending time uh, in his devotion in the evenings, which is pretty cool. We don't pressure him into it, but I encourage him to do it, so he's doing it. And so I, I sat down with him. I said, hey, man, I, I, I saw you were doing your devotion the other night. Your light was on, man. Tell me what the Lord's teaching you. So he says, well, here, here's what I've been studying. I, I, I just learned uh, this past week. It's been all about uh, literally building other people up with your words instead of tearing them down with your words. So that's awesome. You, you know what he's getting. I mean, he's reading this. He's remembering this. What this is is basically him learning how to serve other people. See, you serve other people with your words. You serve other people with your works. 
So here I began to talk about Garrison. I said, okay, Garrison, let's think about the rooms that you find yourself in, all right? So you are at school. Uh, are there people there that you can build up at school? What, what can you say to them to really encourage them? And then we talked about uh, him playing on the basketball team, right? I got three out of my four kids playing basketball, so if y'all need me ever in the evening, go to a gym, all right? I'm probably there, right? But so I began to talk to him about uh, making sure he's encouraging people on the court. So I said, Garrison, the greatest player on the basketball team is not necessarily the one who makes all the shots or makes all the assists. It's the one who rallies and encourages the team to be greater. So just encourage people. After his first game, you know how many points he scored? Zip. Y'all all right? But you know how many people he encouraged? Couldn't keep a count. So then I'm sitting with him. After the game, said, Garrison, awesome game. Let me tell you what fired me up the most, and he already knew it. Is that you were encouraging those people. And, and some of them go to church here, right? So Jason, I mean, he makes a shot, and he goes and gives a big high five. He's all fired up for him, you know. If, if your words this past week were all written in a book, everything you said to every person, are y'all listening? Everything's written down, written down. And then Sunday we said, okay, we're going to read your book today in church, all right? And we opened it up. Would everybody sitting, listening to the words that you spoke last week say, man, that is the most encouraging, positive person I've ever heard? Or would they say, what's wrong with him? Why is she so negative? Man, she is, I mean, she is jawing on everything. You probably wouldn't come to church if we did that, would you? It's a sobering question, though, man. The Bible says we're going to be held accountable for every word and every thought and every deed. So while I'm just, you know, talking about this book up here, that what if we kept a record of all the words you ever spoke? Guess what? The Lord is. The Lord knows every single word. Y'all out there say, yeah. Hey, you know what Paul said? And i got to close this, this, this thing down, but I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul writes it like this in Ephesians 4. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only that which is uh, building and edifying others up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And that was a quick paraphrase, but what an awesome verse. Awesome. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. He's like this. Are y'all listening? Say, yeah. I want you to hear this. This is a great verse. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Y'all aren't listening. Do nothing. From selfishness or empty conceit. Like, y'all know what nothing is, right? It's like nothing. So don't do anything being selfish. And then he lays it out like this. He says, but with humility of mind, there's that term humility, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Think of everybody. Could you imagine the rooms you find yourself in this week if you thought that everybody in the room was more important than you? And you sought to serve them, you would shake their hands, you would love them, you would minister to them, you would serve them wholeheartedly. Hey, you know what's going to happen? Some of you are going to find yourself in a room this week with a bunch of family members. Are y'all all right? Y'all like, be quiet, now you're meddling, right? But here's the deal, if you're not careful, you're going to go into that room and you're going to start sizing yourself up to everybody there. Maybe your brother, maybe your sister, maybe your aunt, maybe your uncle, maybe your cousin. You're going to start thinking, I'm a little bit better than they are. I got a, our, our house is bigger. 
Our family seems a little happier. Our this, our that, our that. And then you're going to get in the car and you're going to ride home and you're going to jack talk every single person sitting at that table. Y'all don't act like you ain't done it before. But what if instead of going into the room and sizing it up, you went in to serve it? And you just encouraged everybody. And you served them. What would your workplace be like if instead of you comparing yourself and always being critical and always being ugly and always trying to build an argument as to why you should get the raise, why you should get the promotion, why you should be the one who's not looked over, what if you went and just said, "Mm, not worried about that, man. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm just going to serve people. Y'all ain't out there, are you? What if you came to church like that? See, what happens is if we're not careful, we come to church and we think that this building and these seats and this pulpit was all constructed just for us. So we come with our hands out, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And listen, you ought to get a meal at church, but you ought to realize there's also some dirty dishes. Serve. And when we love God, we serve others. When our love for God is not where it should be, our service toward others won't be as well. Now, there's a promise with all this. Y'all ready for the promise? I'm going to give it to you in two minutes. Check it out. Uh, Verse 28. Uh, You are those who have stood by me, Jesus says, in my trials. And just as my Father has granted to me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, the Lord Jesus is making a promise to the disciples. He says, you guys have all been with me in the difficult times. Here's what I want you to know. When I come to set up the kingdom, you're going to reign with me. Quit arguing about it. Quit trying to figure out where you are in this life and just know I've got a spot for you in the kingdom. It's pretty good, isn't it? That would be the same thing to you and I, too. Quit trying to argue about who you think you are and what you think you deserve. And just be grateful you got a spot in the kingdom. And the Lord has a place for you to rule. And check it out. Check it out. I'm going I'm to wrap it all up. All right, here's the whole message in a nutshell because we've been talking about it for weeks. We begin to pray, God, break our heart for what breaks yours. And when we pray like that, God births in us a ministry, a desire to serve, a desire for mission, a desire to reach those who are outside of the faith. And whenever we have that in us, man, we realize what we were created for and why God saved us to begin with. And then we've got to pray for courage to go out. And then as we go out, we're going to face opposition and inspection and all kinds of trials and temptations. And we are even going to be tempted to think we are more important than we really are. And if we're not careful, we'll start thinking everybody around us is here for us. Instead of having the mind of Jesus who although Philippians chapter 2 existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a man and humbled himself and went all the way to the cross and died for us. Y'all listening? Man, that's the way we want to live. That's what the Lord is impressed with. That's what pleases the Lord. God jumps on the marriage where the husband and wife are serving one another. God jumps on the family where the husband and the wife are serving their children and the children are serving one another. God jumps on the business where the people are serving one another. God jumps on the church where the people are serving one another. Let's let the Lord jump on this place. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Help us to grow. God, all of us have influence, all of us are leaders, and we want to influence people in a godly manner. And our current culture teaches leadership completely different than the way leadership is taught in the kingdom. 
God, if we're in the light, we're walking with you, we need to serve other people. We need to stop sizing up rooms and serve the room.